Inverse Genius Episode 70, Fortnightly Space, the Intermediate Frontier. In this episode, Eric, Don, and Rob, also known as Lantern Noir, talk all about all kinds of space things, from launching rockets, both real and imaginary, to chopping them up. Hey, if you like what you hear and you'd like to support us, you can go to patreon.com slash obg. Everything that comes in from there goes to cover our monthly podcasting costs, which we appreciate. Thanks. Welcome to another episode of the Inverse Genius Fortnightly, uh, the show where we talk about stuff that we are excited about that we may know nothing about. Uh, sometimes that happens. Anyway, I'm Donald Dennis. You can find me all over the wilds of the internet as well, Sfio. Today, once again, uh, my amazing Inverse Genius co-host himself, Eric Dewey, is here to keep me on the rails. Hey, Eric. Hey, and if you touch that third rail, it's a big zap. It is. I've been zapped enough in my life. I probably don't need it again. Um, but where can you be found in the wilds? Oh, ericdewey.com is the best place to go. It is. Go get that big book of everything for free, for free, for free. Indeed. Right? Yep. Because I was going to say, if you started charging for it, I'd be awfully embarrassed <laughs> at this point. Um, and, of course, uh, we always have to try and find somebody spectacular for our third <laughs> chair. And this time, we have brought on Rob, who you may know as Lantern Noir from, well, from his own Twitch channel. Hey, Rob, how's it going? Hey, it's going pretty good. Um, so where where would you like for them to find you? Oh, the probably the easiest place would be to find me at twitch.tv slash Lantern Noir. Um, okay. I go by the same handle on Twitter as well, and that's my link tree is posted in both, and I'm all over the place. All over the place. Nice. Uh, so uh, we're going to jump right to it today uh, because um, I don't want to do a ton of editing on this. Let's let's try and keep it straight and narrow for a change, which I know is usually my fault for not doing that. So, Eric, uh, lead off and tell us what you are excited about today. Well, I'm excited about talking with you and Rob, of course, but what right. excited me outside of this recording, uh, I've been playing a video game called Hard Space Shipbreaker lately. It, mm. I had kind of kept an eye on it during early access, but then it hit uh, Xbox Live's Game Pass, so for free-ish. I'm like, why not? Let's check it out. And what's interesting about it is it's a it's a game. It's it's the first person type game, but what the goal is is that you are this guy up in space and you're breaking up ships. These are old ships that need to be recycled, and so that's your job. And so you essentially get to pick a ship. And then you fly out to it in space and then you have to start breaking it down. You, you, there's obvious places where you can cut or if you just feel impatient, you can just cut it up in, in however you want. But then there's things about like pressurized uh, cabins that can suddenly uh, suck you right out the window or crush you against equipment and removing nuclear reactors and not getting, you know, not having them meltdowns. So there's a lot of other tasks you have to do. But at its heart, it's really just a game where you're going out and you're just kind of, it's like the opposite of a Zen garden where you start with something big and you end up with nothing and then you complete it and then grab another ship and do it again. Absolutely. It kind of reminds me of a movie that Giles and I talked about on a previous Fortnightly episode where they were salvaging stuff in space. Um, only this looks like it probably involves less piracy. So far, yeah, no real piracy. Although you kind of you can steal posters from the uh, from the ships that you're breaking down, and you can hang them up in your in your office or your home, your little hab. Um, 
there is a bit of a storyline that goes on because the, the company is a little aggressive or oppressive is probably a better way to put it. Um, like for instance, you have to rent your spaceship, sh- excuse me, your spacesuit, your, your tools, those kinds of things. So every day and each, I'll talk about this in a second, but every day you need to earn at least, you know, half a million credits. Otherwise you start getting deeper in debt and you start off like $1.2 million in debt. And so you got to work that off. Yep. As one does. Exactly. Yes, yes. exactly. As one does. And um, and there's an underlining story, you know, under there's a storyline that's kind of going along with that as well. But again, at its heart, you're breaking down ships. Uh, one of the things that I do like about it is once you're done with your training tutorial type stuff, each shift is 15 minutes long, like a literal 15 minutes. So you, you fly out there, you do what you can in 15 minutes, and then you fly back. And so to me, knowing that if I just want to, oh, I've got 15 minutes, I can go in and cut another piece of ship off then uh, and then do that without it kind of, of course, it leads to, oh, just one more turn, just one more turn, but still. <laughs> right. No, I love that there are video games are a lot more conscious these days, or maybe it's just the way things have evolved that, Hey, you can do this in bite-sized pieces. So it's like, Oh, I'm ready to leave the house. Nobody else is ready to leave the house. I will run a run around of something. And then, you know, by the time they're ready and I'm done with this, we can take off or what have you. So, yep. Can I, can I be the old guy to go, isn't it great that we have video games now that you can play in 15 minutes and they're not spent watching it boot up. Yeah, <laughs> or, or, or flopping or swapping floppy disks out to get to disk four so it can finally begin. <laughs> oh, yes, definitely. Well, yeah. shoot, the Xbox is that way today, right? Like I push the button, then I go and get some, you know, get a drink or something, and then it's finally done booting up. And heaven forbid you so buy a new game, right? <laughs> Sorry, this is. Do you have the current crazy. Xbox or the previous edition of the Xbox? I have the Xbox One. I don't have any of the Series S or Series X's, so. Those are wicked fast, uh, most of the time, most of the time. <laughs> now, you said that this uh, this game that you were talking about here, uh, what was it, uh, Hard Space Shipbreaker, that it is available through Game Pass. Is it console or is it uh, through the Xbox PC Game Pass only? Uh, I'm playing it on the PC. Uh, it's also available on Steam. I don't know if it's console or not. I think it is, but um, I'm just, I happen to be playing it on PC. Gotcha. Okay, well, and, that's cool. But yeah, it, 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 I'm trying to really figure out what I like about it. And it's just that it's just so methodical. And, and, you know, it's like, oh, do I start with the engines and work my way up? You know, like right now I'm, I'm stripping down a, a tub, a tug, I should say. And uh, I've taken off all the outside bits. So all that's left is like the inside superstructure and then the chairs and all that stuff. And so I'm kind of working my way outside in. And it's just kind of a fun, relaxing game. I, I you know, it's not like I can't. It's funny. It's not like I can't wait to see what happens next, but I can't wait to see what ship I'm going to break apart next. So I got questions here. Do you, you don't complete a ship every shift, right? It's oh right. Yeah. Usually it takes multiple shifts, multiple shifts. Um, and do you, are you in a race with anybody to, to get the most value from this ship? Or are you the only person working on each shift? Or each You're ship? the only you're the only person working on each ship. In theory, you're in a race because if you take too long, you will have have all your rental fees will be higher than the value of the ship. So, but it's right. not it's not too high of a pressure. Honestly, the worst part about it all is the um, you have like a certain amount of oxygen that you can use, uh, and then when mm-hmm. you run out, you have to kind of run back to the uh, 
the little ATM machine there and buy more oxygen, right? And so that eats up a little bit of time. There's a lot of little digs like that that the company kind of is doing against you. <laughs> wait, wait, buy more oxygen? Yeah. Because it doesn't exactly grow on trees right. or anything. Yeah, so so you're, is- you're still back at the racing the clock to <laughs> yeah. try not to waste your money collecting money. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I have gotten to where I was gasping for breath at some points. And, uh, oh, I should point out that you are uh, automatically cloned by the company and backed up every every night. So if you, oh, I don't know, float into a furnace or get crushed by superstructure, uh, you just kind of pop up good as new the next day. Um, so. that, that was my next big question was, uh, how perilous is it? And do you have to like, make sure that you have unplugged all the equipment and shut down the power source so you don't fry yourself? Oh yes, you absolutely do have to do that. And certain power sources have certain procedures that you have to go through. Otherwise, yeah, as soon as you flip that switch, uh, big bolts of electricity come out and get you. There's an engine type that mm. when you pull it off and cut through with your laser, um, you are now on a timer to race to the end of the nasal, nasal, missile, the engine holder (laughs) to pull the switch that dumps the fuel before it all implodes. And I have to say, occasionally shooting your little laser and accidentally hitting a fuel tank, very bad. (laughs) Well, unless you're far (laughs) enough away, right? And then it'll speed things up for you? It will, except it destroys valuable salvage. Uh, Oh, well. We want man. it intact, man. We got a bill to pay. Yeah. Right. But I'm thinking you strip it of all the super valuable stuff and they're like, I don't want to spend the rest of the clock on this ship. Pop. <laughs> there are, there's basically three places. Everything goes. There's a, a processor. So certain things go into this, this section, there's a furnace and then there's the barge down at the bottom. And so you're, you're having to kind of sort the pieces, but yeah, you're absolutely right, Don. Whenever you're done, you, they have these things called tethers. And you just kind of tether it to the furnace and it just automatically, it's like a tractor beam, just kind of pulls it in there and just melts it all away. Um, and then lets you know I about the that- one thing that you forgot to take out of it as it dinks you. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. You, you didn't take out this rare statue from an alien world or what have you. Uh, it sort of, I think it'd be cool to have a version of this that was part this game exactly as it is and part keep talking and nobody explodes. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh, oh, somebody, somebody, I have $50 right now. <laughs> yes. I will throw at that. So I'm sitting nice. here trying to dismantle or remove this nuclear uh, reactor so we can salvage it. And I need you to tell me how to do it. And if I don't do it right, well, so be it. <laughs> Kaboomy. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, cool. I sh- that's I that's should, pretty neat. Yeah. One last thing I should mention, there is a complete free play. If you don't want to worry about the story or the money, if you just want to cut up ships, um, there's a complete free play method as well that you can play. So yeah, I recommend checking out hard space Shipbreaker, or excuse me, hardscape Shipbreaker. It's uh, it's, it's neat. It's a nice different type of game. Wait, is it hard space or hardscape? Because I'm you, seeing hard space Shipbreaker. It's hard space Shipbreaker. Sorry. Uh, it's actually nice. the same letters. <laughs> Escape in space. It is, but yes, hard space shipbreaker. We could uh, we could call the keep talking version hardscapes shipbreaker. So there we go. That would cause no, no end of confusion. File off the serial numbers. We could get we can touch with and call it keep talking, and everyone gets salvage. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Keep Just talking rolls in money. right off the tongue. Well. You know, I guess this is the beginning of an all space week because I know what Rob's going to be talking about, and I'm going to be talking about Rocket School, um, 
which is not an actual thing, but it is something that I have done at the library. Yes, once again, I'm talking about my job, and I am not sorry for it. So uh, at the library, we did a week's worth of rocket-related classes and activities, and part of it was just because when I was a kid, about the age of the folks who were coming into the library, I liked to build model rockets because it was one of those things that my brother did, and so because he liked it, and he was my older brother, I had to like it as well. It's just sort of the code. It's the way things go when you're trying to grow up to emulate somebody. Um, and he had all of these wonderful, beautiful model rockets. He had one that was like five or six feet tall. He had oh, yeah. multiple stage rockets. He had, oh, yeah. I, I don't know how many of his rockets I destroyed uh, in a variety of reasons, just picking them up off a shelf to, uh, to look at them as a kid. But uh, nonetheless, I survived that experience and I survived model rocketry. Uh, and so this is where we are today. So I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the stuff that we did and why it was so cool. So one of the introductory activities that we did is we got this thing called an aquapod, which is you take any two liter bottle that uh, for sodas and whatnot, and you fill, fill it about a third of the way up and you put it on this thing and you use your bike pump and you jack, 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 jack. And then at some point you pull the little release and it shoots up into the sky and uh, this is an excellent way to say, now, see here, you don't want to be too close because where <laughs> all that water goes, that could be you underneath a rocket with flammable explosive exhaust. Um, so it helps It helps with that. Also, it's pretty exciting, and it was something that we did with them between activities um, while we were trying to get the other launches ready and after we had done painting of rockets or assembly of rockets while we were waiting for all that to dry. So... Aquapod is great, and also in these hot, hot summer days, and you are doing one of those things where you have to go outside and be with family, this is a wonderful thing to take with you, and it is mostly harmless uh, as long as you've got it set up so that it is not sliding all over the part. Now, one of the things that we forgot to do is they provide this metal loop, which is like made out of coat hanger material or whatever it is, that you put over the frame, which keeps it from moving when you pull the release because it's a friction-based release system. Well, when you don't have that and you give the little tether a tug, <laughs> occasionally the, the little tripod thing will bounce around and it will shoot off into the road uh, or at you, the person who is pulling on the thing, um, a variety of things. So we fix that in a hurry. But um, yeah, just make sure you use the little safety thing. That reminds um, me the other of thing. The I was going to say that reminds me of an adventure I had launching rockets and I know you're going to get into to launching them, mm -hmm. but we had a two stager. And mm -hmm. so the two, the first stage really just gets it off the pad. And then the second stage really sends it up high. So the first stage pushes it up off the pad, but for whatever reason, I don't know what happened. The rocket rotated 90 degrees as soon as it got off the pad. So instead of heading up, it headed out. And then the second thing kicked off and we're just running like crazy. It wasn't firing <laughs> towards us, but you know, there's still all that exhaust. We're just like, Oh, we're all going to die. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and so that was neat. Uh, we, you also can do like hand pump rockets and where everybody gets their own one. This was neat because it was kind of a group activity. And we had a small group of like six or seven kids. It wasn't a, a huge class. Um, and then when we were working on the chemical rocket stuff, we were using the Estes rocket kits. But honestly, um, with the exception of making sure that your rockets will mount the engines correctly because it's a chemical fuel rocket. Um, our burn rocket fit. Um, 
you don't have to use Estus rockets. Now, I recommend doing it because they have some great starter sets. And the box that we got had like basically three different levels of difficulty in it, uh, multiples of each. So that the kids who were younger were able to take the plastic fins and just attach it and then and then do some other assembly uh, and, and whatnot. And it was a lot of fun to see that. But we have also done some crafting of our own particular rockets where uh, maybe it didn't follow all the guidelines and maybe we, we learned the hard way and how not to do some things. Um, but for this class, we followed all the rules because we were dealing with kids. We didn't want to uh, um, give them any bad ideas uh, and all that. So uh, we had a whole setup where we talked about all the stuff. What do you need to do before you go out and you do launching or before you even go outside after you've built your rocket we talk about, hey, when, when you're at the launch site, you've got a person who's in control of everything, and then you have the flight control officer for that launch, who's the person who owns that rocket, and you have seekers who are going to be go grabbing and everything, and you got the spotter. Just It was an amazing sort of structure of, hey, here's all this stuff, and here's why it's important. And after the first few launches, the kids get really comfortable with what's going on. You might say, too comfortable <laughs> dangerously comfortable dangerously comfortable with what's I going got on. this i got this i got this <laughs> yeah um and so we of course had said you do not move until the rocket hits the ground because we were launching it basically from between the library and the school right into school property which is probably not a good idea to do if you're not already a county employee like i am um in fact don't do that if you're going to launch in school property talk to someone who works there and get permission don't do what we did. Uh, but once again, I had my badge and said, hey, I work for the county. Leave me alone. Um, <laughs> it's a good thing to have. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so we had a rocket explode. Um, and it was it was not um, in anybody's hands. Nobody got hurt. But it had just left the launch pad and then probably gotten up maybe 20 feet or so. And then it was a basically a fireball for about the next 20 feet that it went up and uh and that convinced them that this is this is a dangerous thing when they collected the shrapnel fragments in the exploded paper tube that uh, hey this is this is a thing and uh the the poor rocketeer who had made that one was very upset of course but we let them make another rocket and it was all great after the fact there's their next rocket looked really cool so forth and so on. Um, some of the other activities that we, and so I'm going to say this, go get your basic rocket set and, and follow a couple of guidelines uh, when you're doing your rocketry, be upwind of where you want your rocket to be when you, after it's landed, don't, don't do it on a really windy day. Don't do it on a dry day. Look for fire hazards or fire warnings. Um, Oklahoma in September, not necessarily a good time you know, or, or in late July, you know, when there's not a lot of rain going on and everything is brown and, and dry, don't, don't be doing a lot of rocketry in uncontrolled circumstances there. Well, and if you're going to, it's okay to bring a fire extinguisher. It is okay to bring a fire extinguisher. A, yes. a buddy of mine always said, you, you never know when you've been overprepared. You only know when you've been underprepared. <laughs> right? Absolutely correct. We happen to have pressurized water bottles with us. Um, probably not the best thing for rocketry, but also not the worst. So we were, we were ready for this. Um, yes. So follow all that. If you want safety stuff, one of the other activities that we did 
um, is we had a space escape room that we had made up that uh, had a bunch of little science facts about the world so that uh, in our solar system. And, and that was all pretty neat. And between activities, they got on Kerbal Space Program and we taught them actual orbital, you know, here's how you're going to get a real spacecraft off the ground. And here's how what we're doing mimics that or matches that. And so I'm going to just say model rockets, the Estes rocket starter sets, start with those and feel free to buy your own balsa wood and do your own funky things with the fins. Do not glue the top on because what happens is, or what's supposed to happen is the rocket goes up. It's got the burn out the backside. There's a little bit of a pause. And then there's a puff out the top, which is um, also part of that uh, chemical fire explosion that's happening inside the rocket that pushes the streamer or the parachute out the top, and then it comes down. And make sure we had we had rocket failures of all types this time. We had stuff that was wedged in and the, the top wouldn't come off. And so it, basically there was a small fire inside the rockets. Um, you know, not, no real damage was caused, but it could have. Uh, we had um, shoots scorch themselves horribly because we didn't put the right wadding in between the engine and the and the parachute. It was a learning experience for all involved. But uh, since we had three adults there watching what was going on, you know, as, and, and a bunch of people paying attention, we were we were still relatively safe, and we always kept far enough away from the launch pad. And it was a lot of fun hearing the countdowns go off over and over again. And I think we ended up in the newspaper because of it. In a good way, in a good way. <laughs> so, yeah, I've uh, rocketry. What I like about rocketry is it's relatively cheap. I mean, you can buy a rocket for like ten bucks. The motors used to be about a dollar each, so it's not a huge investment. You know, like a remote control car or something like that. Right. Um, and when the rocket doesn't come back, uh, <laughs> you know, it's not a huge uh, disappointment. Uh, you had you had mentioned the wadding. I remember one time we completely forgot to put wadding in. And so when it burst open the, the cone, it sheared off the little rubber band that's in there. And so the cone went one way and the rocket went the other. Yes. One time we put in too because, much wadding. <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, yep. I was going to say we put too much no. wadding in so the cone didn't come off. And so now it turned into like a lawn dart. <laughs> you know, <drilling laughs> the, the good old days. Yeah. yeah. The, the most common reason for the nose cone not to come off is that when you're putting everything down in there, a little bit of the rubber band will stick up. And so it will wedge in a little bit more snugly. And um, there are other reasons, like you said, too much wadding and stuff. And if you don't have the wadding in there, the heat will cause the rubber of the rubber band to be become really brittle and snap. Um, because that the force that it exerts is probably not enough by itself to cause that the nose cone to pop off. But... I have learned to recognize all kind of chemical burns and scarrings on launch systems. Now it's yes, more absolutely. information than I thought I would ever need working at a library, but uh, there you go. <laughs> and I will say that launching rockets was the only time I've ever used trigonometry in a practical manner. You know, not like a school. Hey now. Hey <laughs> I'm now. not saying there's nothing wrong. You know, I'm saying in my lifetime, <laughs> I have only used trigonometry once, but we made this real crude protractor thing that measured the angle. We knew the distance to mm -hmm. the rocket. And so we launched it and followed it up. And then we could calculate using a tangent how high the actual rocket went. And so that was that was kind of fun and satisfying. Right. And in prime capitalistic fashion, uh, there is a way for you to spend lots of money at Rocketry. Of course. <laughs> Uh, you can buy a little thing 
that will slide and, and you can point up and you can tell, aha, here's how high my rocket went. You can buy multi-stage rocket boosters, you can, which will you know send that sucker up even higher. And the kids were like, oh, I'm going to put all this stuff on my rocket. And I'm like, well, okay, you can do that. But here's the math, right? The more rockets you have, the less high <laughs> it's going to go, right? And also the more in, you know, the less engine you have, the, the, the less high it's going to go. And so we were helping them streamline as much as possible. Uh, one kid did try to just launch a tube, uh, but we <laughs> had to explain to him that, that, no, he had to have some sort of fins on it. And, uh, you know, we weren't going to yeah. let him launch basically a yard dart. And my personal opinion is, you know, you have the A's, the B's, the C's, and the bigger the letter, the bigger, the higher it goes. Mm-hmm. I like launching the A's because when you get the big rocket, engines and it goes up really high then it's just a spec and it's a spec forever until you lose it in the sky and then maybe you'll see it come down but the smaller ones you know you can kind of follow the trajectory the whole way through so yes well that when i was in middle school we um the gifted intelligent program dedicated a whole month in may to model rocketry and one of the guys in my group um whose sister-in-law i worked with um decided he was going to do the big three stage rocket. Oh yes. And he put the, he, he did a DCB combo engine in it. We only ever recovered stage one (laughs) (laughs) to to our knowledge. That sucker is in orbit right now. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. Now how big was the actual rocket on that? It was the rocket was probably about three feet uh, net length. Hmm. So, but it was one that D engine. Yeah, because it, it like the, yeah. the the fins were just basically uh, horizontal fins, right? And there was like three stages of horizontal fins. They weren't like angled or anything. Yeah. 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 I remember that rocket. I used to, oh man, I loved looking through the Estes catalog. Uh, they had like Star Wars rockets and all kinds of stuff. Oh, actually, I had the rocket, the Astrocam rocket, where you could put the film in it. And when it reached the apex, when it blew out, it would take a picture. And, mm-hmm. uh, and then you could develop it. Uh, the problem was, is that I bought that rocket as an adult pretty much right as digital cameras became super popular. And so the film for that, I just could never find. <laughs> it's like those little right. round wheel looking anyway. But now well, it was, you it was get a GoPro and it would just keep film the whole thing for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've wondered about that because I, I have that rocket somewhere in the garage. And the brilliance of it is it's all just a little string. You pull yeah. the shutter back, you loop the string underneath it, and then so the ejection releases the string, the spring pulls the hole across the film and takes a quick snapshot. Mm. Yeah, it's brilliant, and it's it's low-tech. But uh, anyway, that's enough of my reminiscing. Sorry, I keep... Oh, well, and wait, but it, it was fun. No, I mean, it's great because you could do orbit. I mean, my brother had one that you'd put a, an egg in, right? Yes. The thing and it would go up and um, you know you would hopefully get back a whole egg at the end of it. Uh, much easier when you hard boil the egg and don't tell anyone. Um, <laughs> yeah, but, I had uh, one with a little capsule in it, and um, it couldn't hold an egg. I'd seen the ones that could hold an egg, so we found like a cricket and we put it in there. And we were like, "Ooh, mm-hmm. can it you know make it?" And we launched it, and the nose cone flew off. Uh, but. So, so yes, yeah, so we lost the nose cone. So basically that cricket had to free fall from like 200 feet or whatever. <laughs> Never did see it again. Of course. Poor guy. Hmm. Poor little dude. 
And they have ones that you can like have. Um, I seem to remember there was a space shuttle one that uh, the, the shuttle oh, the would free glide down. That I yeah, I, the yeah. orbiter gl- was a glider. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so have fun with it. Uh, if you do rocketry, please share your photos with us in the Facebook group. I want to see what you're doing with it. Uh, one of the things I sort of glazed over um, uh, when I was talking about this is what Rob's going to be talking about. And that's the uh, Kerbal Space Program. So, hey, Rob, talk about that. Let's talk about Kerbal Space. Oh, absolutely. Um, this is something I I don't remember when I stumbled onto it, um, but I did come across it some time ago. Um, it's been on all kinds of platforms. You can get it on PC. You can get it on console. Um, it's made by a small development team uh, that did get bought up. Um, and basically, it is 120% a rocket simulator with no training wheels. So right out of the gate, you can you can drop an engine, drop some fuel, drop a capsule, and go launch, and it will not make your life easy. <laughs> it will fly exactly like the physics says it should fly, which means like your first couple of hours or days is a trial by fire. You, you mm-hmm. try this, did the rocket go up? You try this, did the rocket go up? Um and it's, it's just, it's really good at capturing the essence of that physics. It actually came out back in 2015, and they've mm-hmm. been teasing a sequel to it for about three years now. They say we're going to see it next year. Yeah. But it's it's withheld. I mean, the, the mod community is massive. So there well, have been graphic updates pushed through by modders. Oh, wow. It's so massive that NASA has developed... Uh, an expansion thing for it, right? I mean, it's huge. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you can recreate um, pretty much anything in our space program, both the American and the Russian. Uh, there was a big update that came out, oh, God, some, some years ago that added like all the Russian styles of rockets into the picture so that you could kind of recreate those. Uh, you can recreate the moon landings however you want to which can include what we did with the Apollo 11 program where we, we sent the lander up with the capsule and the lander went down, came up, docked and people moved, or you could try to build one that actually takes everything you need to get back to earth down onto the moon and back up again, and then flies back to earth. The, the biggest difference is that it is the planet of Kerbin, which is where your, your Kerbins live are no Kerbal. The planet is Kerbal mm-hmm. it is inhabited by Kerbins is one quarter the size of the Earth. Yes. So all the math is off by a factor of four or 16 or 64, depending on which formula you're using. (laughs) But aside from that, it locks it in really well. The interface is solid. Um, I found when I was, when we went into lockdown back in March, 2020, uh, I was actively teaching a physics class and they said, okay, here's what y'all are going to do. Uh, we don't want these kids to miss out on daily normality of teachers. That's our priority. So we want you to post a learning opportunity every day and encourage the students to participate with it via the Google Classroom. And so for like four Fridays in a row, I posted a video of flying, building and flying rockets in Kerbal Space Program. And the students had to answer questions along the way that tied back to our lessons either the previous week or earlier in the year. 
And I, th- I flattered myself to think that by the end <laughs> of it, they knew the basic vocabulary. <laughs> they knew the basic principles. Because um, I was using them, you know, the apesis or the apost. Yes, apesis and periapsis and uh, escape velocity. And we were talking about orbital speeds and uh, height of the orbit. And, and even people who are trained astrophysicists will say they learned more playing Kerbal Space Program about orbital mechanics than they did getting their PhD. <laughs> That's fine. And I, I believe just, it. I just imagine those first few. Uh, hours or days of playing it is a lot like all those history of NASA videos you know you've seen where you just see the rockets go up and down up and down <laughs> oh apps absolutely and the thing that makes it unique because a lot of games I've noticed the, the tutorial mode is okay we are going to teach you how to play by saying okay now put these fins here then do this now look what happened guys now try it for yourself it's like there is none of this in here. Um, I mean, there is a campaign, right? I mean, you are spending your budget and, and you have limited stuff and you're having to explore as you go up. So it's not like, I mean, you can do a, Hey, I've got all the resources that I want mode, but there's also a campaign that sort of helps you learn it as you go. That is true. There's two, there's three modes. There's sandbox, there's science, and there's, I think they do call it campaign. Um, and so in sandbox, everything in the game is unlocked. Go crazy, which I still found really engaging because I would say things like, okay, I want to send something to Mars, which in this game is called Duna. How do I do that? And that's why I'd start engineering what the rocket would look like, what the travel vehicle would look like, what my mission plan would be. And you don't have any limits. In science mode, you start off with a capsule that can seat one person a very small engine and a very small fuel tank. And everywhere you go, you have to collect science points. So you collect science points when you do a science experiment in the air and you collect them when you do it in space, you collect them when you do it in a different part of the planet and slowly you unlock the tree that has bigger engines, better fins, bigger capsule. And you work your way up through the technologies into the modern era. And then the campaign mode is that, but you have to pay for everything. <laughs> so you have, you, yeah. And so you get these contracts from private industry saying, well, we want a satellite that orbits the moon at this altitude. Okay. Here's the money they give you. Now you have to figure out how to do that under budget. That's so funny. have you ever, it played, is, it is. Have you ever played the board game or it's card game leaving earth? Yeah. I have it's not a really small published game. Like, like they make them themselves kind of thing, but it's the whole thing of your, tr- you've got to try to get a, you know, launch a rocket and there's different things. You go to moon, you can go to Venus, you can, you know, orbit the sun, whatever. Uh, and so it, you have to do those calculations. You know, I have these boosters, like a Saturn booster. It can lift this much weight and the capsule weighs this much. And so I need enough boosters. But of course, each time you add a booster, that's adding more weight. And so there's like a little formula table you follow. So it's a very simplified version of this. And so I really like that that game because it's a lot of fun and it's real interesting. And I have Kerbal Space Program in my Steam library. I haven't had the time to devote to it yet. But to me, it's like this is that amplified, you know, times two okay i'm i'm going to annoy a lot of big fans of the game by telling you the best strategy to do 
Okay. Step one, install it. Step two, look for a mod called MechJeb. And what this is, it's a, a, a device you slap onto your ship that is piloting assistance. So now there's there are two minds. One mind is don't do this because you won't learn orbital mechanics. You'll let the computer do all that work and you can focus on ship design and mission planning. Those who say do it, you don't spend all your time going, can I get it to space by controlling it right? Because the computer will do that part for you. And I like to use it because I know how to get things into orbit. I just don't want to always have to pilot it perfectly every time. Right. And the, the automation will never get a rocket that can't get to space into space. <laughs> it still mm. has to follow physics. So if it's, if it's physically can't do it, it won't do it, but it will do its best to try. Gotcha. Yeah. I like that. And I don't I know how I feel about on. that. I, I mean, I'm, I'm not just, it's just opposed to it off the cuff, but I'm like, part of the whole game is, you know, trying to figure out, uh, you're training yourself to pilot as well as you are to build. But I guess if you're trying to play a different game entirely, then there you have it. I mean, that's, that's, that's legit. As long as you're having fun, I'm not going to grief you for it. That's exactly my approach. My, my teenager thinks I'm crazy. He, they're like, no, 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 you're cheating. You <laughs> can't have that mod. And I'm like, I want the game of mission planning. I mean, who that are you cheating, really? It's not like you're, you're going for money. You know, it's not a multiplayer game that you're actually competing with somebody. Wait, or mm-hmm. are you? Yeah, I mean, no. So, you know, it's, it's well, have fun. The community is huge because they do. I mean, there's a face, several Facebook groups that will issue like a weekly challenge. Can mm-hmm. you get a rocket to this location in this time? And then you post a video of yourself doing it to claim the credit. Um, but what's really neat with this, I made these videos. I shared them with, um, I don't remember what group I shared. I think it was a Facebook group for Kerbal. And they said, you should check out the Knowledge Fellowship. And I want to take a second while we're talking to shout them out. It's mm-hmm. a Discord group you can find with, with a search. Um, they also, I think, they have websites. Uh, but for the most part, it's based in Discord. And it's a collection of academics who do educational and edutainment live streaming and video recordings. So YouTube videos, Twitch, and it's all people that are literal experts in their field that just like to have fun sharing it with people. Well, that's cool. So, so they kind of look at like, say a Kerbal video and then kind of talk about it. um, Mm -hmm. Physics wise, there'll be a science wise. There'll be a series where someone who's an actual rocket scientist will have made a bunch of 10 minute videos about the, the essence of a particular rocket principle and the videos will all use the Kerbal space program background or they'll live stream playing Kerbal, which means the whole time they're talking through the, okay, so when NASA did this, they went this direction, but let's be honest guys, that's boring. We're going this direction. (laughs) And, uh, and they'll talk it through. There's a a brilliant young woman um, who uses the nickname rocket sage. I didn't know it could be fun to talk about rocks, ah. hmm. but, but she's a, a geologist and she'll spend three hours talking rocks, volcanoes, earthquakes, and it's, she's great with her community. It's a really, it's a really great group that, that has, it works to, I think is the best, the best hope for the internet, which is a true democratization of knowledge. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. There was an article in the latest Popular Mechanics all about, uh, you know, NASA has a new heavy lifter rocket that they're trying to get developed. And so the nozzles, the thrusters on that are actually the same thrusters that were used by the space shuttle program. And so it was written by a guy who was involved or was written about a guy who's deeply involved in the thrusters to the point where they were kind of each one developed their own idiosyncrasies. And you kind of learn, you know, this thruster did this and this thruster did that. And they sort of, for lack of a better term, had personalities. And so they're breaking these out of mothballs so they can use them on these rockets. And then they're going to build new ones. And they're kind of talking about that. And that in and of itself was all fascinating. And then later on in the day when I was just thinking about that article, I was like, oh, but that means these thrusters that have generated, we'll call them personalities, um, this is now just a one-use rocket. They're never coming back. <laughs> you start to think, oh, that's, that's kind of sad. And then, uh, but you know, it's like stuff you didn't know was fascinating until you hear it. <laughs> mm-hmm. I remember there being, uh, oh, wait, nope, nope, nope. That's been debunked. Okay. Ooh, what's been debunked? Okay. According, I remember hearing that there, the final communication from the Curiosity rover was, my battery is low and it's getting dark. Mm-hmm. That's deep. And I, I went to verify that just to get to pull the actual phrasing up. And at the top of the uh, my Google search return is, no, the last words of NASA's Opportunity rover were not. <laughs> were not. So... Well, that's a bummer. Well, I mean, I don't know how you want to look. It's poetic if it had been. How yes. about we leave it at that? And <laughs> you can guarantee that the next rover that they put on a planet will have something similar to that as its uh, low battery warning. Yes. Uh, you know, but it is Newsweek. So are we going to believe what? No, I'm not sorry. We're not even going to that. To be fair, um, skimming through, they're clarifying that that poetic answer was an engineer's translation of the data from the last transmission, uh-huh. uh, which included the fact that the sun was indeed setting and the battery levels were low. Uh, so two separate so events, but poetically yes. connected. Yeah. Who says engineers can't have a poet's heart? Well, speaking Most of people. two separate events that are connected, uh, we've talked about three things and the show is over. So... <laughs> Good thing. Um, unless you all had anything else that you wanted to say or talk about this time through, but if it's a big conversation, we can have it next time. No, I'm. I think uh, we're done. I'm excited to fire up Kerbal uh, as soon as I finish breaking yes. up this next ship. Yes. Oh, that's true. That's what you should do. Is you should launch a ship and then break a ship <laughs> and then, and then a launch ship. a ship <laughs> and then break a ship. Uh, Just wait till you get to the point in Kerbal where you're like, you know, I should go clean up the. Uh, Clean up the, the uh, low space. orbit area from all my boosters I've left lying around. No I'm going to launch a whole bunch of missions to deorbit stuff. <laughs> the sounds the kids will make during this when they're launching rockets at work, um, it, when they're in <laughs> Kerbal, is one of them was like, hey, I got into orbit. They did not get into orbit around the planet. They got into orbit around the sun because they completely <laughs> misjudged everything that they was like. Yeah, that dude's never coming home. Sorry. <laughs> just expand the mission parameters at that point. <laughs> That's right. Um, Talk about your they, mission creep. Yeah, they are excited to uh, they are excited to learn when they have just blown up their fifth rocket. They're like, "What am I doing wrong?" 
then that's when they're receptive to receiving new information. Uh, before that, you just kind of sit and watch and uh, you talk to the other teacher who's there. It's like, you know, maybe they want this kind of thing. But you don't tell the kids that unless they ask for the information. But if they're paying attention to you, then they will cleverly figure it out on their own. So sounds like you've great been reading program. my dissertation. <laughs> it is um, <laughs> not a thing that I've been allowed to do, but uh, I could. I could read that. It's boring. Um, all right. Uh, so, Rob, thank you for joining us oh, for oh, yeah. another in uh, Inverse Genius. You were wait, you were on onboard games. You haven't been on Inverse Genius before, right? This is my first Inverse Genius appearance. I have been on onboard games. All right. Well, so everybody, go find that episode. Um, and uh, thank you for joining us here. And uh, let everybody know one last time where you can be found doing your thing that you want to be found. All right. Well, I'm Rob, a.k.a. Lantern Noir. You can find me at twitch.tv slash Lantern Noir or on the Twitter by the same handle. Uh, I do all kinds of fun Dungeons and Dragons and other game content. Nice. And Eric? Visit me at ericdewey.com or go to the guild, Guild325 on Board Game Geek. That's always a fun place. It, it is. Is it still? Yes, it is. We'll just leave I, it at that. I post right. every week <laughs> or every other week. <laughs> I know. I usually th- thumb it up. I give it a like. And I'm Donald. You can find me everywhere as Walshfio. If it's not me, it's a fraud. <laughs> Grief them. Um, anyway, thank you all for listening. Head over to the Facebook group. Talk to us there about what you find exciting or interesting lately. Go over to the inversegenius.com, find out about our other shows that we make and uh, the people who create them. And uh, hey, come back in two weeks and listen to us talk about stuff that we are excited about. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. That's it for this episode of the Inverse Genius Podcast. The Inverse Genius Podcast is licensed under Creative Commons Attribution Non Commercial No Derivatives 3.0 license. Thank you.